This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to Wharton and uh, UPenn, Gilbert. Um, we are very pleased uh, and grateful uh, for the opportunity to have you uh, at uh, Wharton UPenn for the entire day. Uh, what are the main uh, topics, messages you would like to share and discuss uh, with uh, Wharton and UPenn uh, students and faculty? I want to thank you for hosting me and at the same time you know, for organizing the program for the day. As you know, we have been uh, you know, working with you since uh, 2013 now. We have lots of respect and admiration for the work you do and your passion. Uh, and that's why uh, you know, I'm very excited to be here. Uh, as you know, the primary objective of my presence here is to launch, you know, with your students, uh, you know, our third case study together. Uh, as you remember, you know, this is, uh, you know, our third case study, you know, following the first one on Uganda with vanilla and the second one that was mainly understanding the consumer needs in India. Uh, and the key theme across the three uh, uh, case studies is mainly understanding better the needs of low-income consumers in emerging markets uh, in order to you know, tackle them with uh, serious uh, business opportunities. So my primary objective is launching you know, this third case study that is all about you know, the new uh, sanitation uh, approach. The second uh, key priority for me is to engage your students with our inclusive capitalism business model. We uh, believe in this inclusive capitalism business model. We feel it's very relevant for the 21st century. And that's why I will take this opportunity to promote this inclusive capitalism business model with your students. Because the way I look at your students, you know, these will be the future CFOs of the global corporations. You know, your uh, Wharton is very well renowned for uh, its capabilities and its lead in finance. And, you know, I am assuming that, you know, most of these future leaders, you know, will end up being the CFOs of the global corporations. And the third key objective for me is to showcase how businesses could leverage their knowledge and, you know, for us at Firmenich, our science, in order to address key societal challenges and save lives. So these will be my three key objectives in my address with your team uh, this afternoon. I mean, from my students' perspective, uh, it's really very important that we don't just analyze one case study. You mentioned the three case studies because that gives a continuity, uh, a better understanding of a transformation. Firmenich has been going for a uh, for number of years. And... Uh, in the process really not only just developing let's call that new business models or entering new markets but creating new industries and that's what uh, i think is very important i appreciate your uh, appreciation for the financial knowledge the students will get here but i hope uh, the more they get exposed to these uh, real life things that they will understand that traditional ways of uh, overemphasizing the financial aspect of the operations uh, has to be enriched 
by by something more that also provides stability for the company to engage, as you said, you know, inclusive capitalism. I mean, it's a broader topic for uh, discussion. You are in a unique position. I mean, as a person, uh, a very successful business person coming from publicly traded company, now working with a family-owned company. Uh, what is your experience and w- what are the key advantages this kind of ownership provides for you in a sense of repositioning uh, the company in, in being what it is now, really one of the leaders in uh, this new uh, understanding of capitalism and market economy, how it should function? Yeah. Look, uh, you're right. You know, I think the fact that I worked for 21 years for a publicly quoted company that is Diageo, the world alcohol in bever- uh, the world leader in beverage alcohol, and now I've been, you know, the CEO of Firminish for almost five years, uh, it gives me a completely different perspective because you know then I have the B2C, the business to consumer, and now it's the B2B, business to business, and at the same time, you know, the fact that you know working for publicly quoted companies and working for private companies. I think the advantage of Firminish is we have the governance of a publicly quoted company while being a private company. So we combine the best of both worlds, the rigor and accountability of publicly quoted companies with the passion and the medium to long-term vision of private companies. And I think this combination is very powerful and is enabling us to stand out as leaders in our industry. I mean, when uh, we were working on the first case study uh, in India and how you engage uh, low-income consumers, what was uh, very fascinating for my students was to understand that in the process, you were basically creating jobs for young people in India, and also with all your expertise in emerging economies, you also build very strong partnership with the local uh, NGOs so that your engagement reflect the reality on the ground. So to what extent this issue of job creation as an important part of your overall strategy when you engage in emerging economies? This is critical, and it goes back to the role of business. You know, what is the role of business? You know, the role of business is create jobs, uncover opportunity through innovation and create new consumption occasions, and at the same time, pay taxes. And, you know, the, the job creation is critical because, you know, this is how you're offering opportunities for youth in these markets and, you know, giving them a springboard to a better life, especially if they are coming from emerging markets. And in the context of uh, job creation uh, and, and leadership, I would argue, it's also, I think, very important issues of women, particularly girl empowerment. What is your experience in that space and what other companies uh, can learn from that? Uh, our experience on women empowerment and uh, equality is uh, huge, I would say, because it touches every facet of our business, not only internally with Firminish, but also, you know, with our suppliers. And I will take some, um, uh, some time, you know, to share with you our inroads uh, in this space. Now, when you look at my executive committee, you know, the, the, the team that runs Firminish globally, one third of my executive committee are female. And the three ladies uh, on my exec, you know, have been appointed by me uh, since I took over. And I can tell you, my exec today, 
where I have eight uh, colleagues, you know, with having three uh, female colleagues uh, have, uh, is far more impactful and effective than, it than this exec was in the past. And it's not only gender diversity, because I have three out of eight female, but most importantly, I have seven different nationalities on my exec. So they bring a completely different perspective and they make the discussion far richer, more inclusive and more complete. And it is reflected in the impact of the business. At the same time, internally, 40% of our uh, leadership team across the company are uh, women and 40% of our employee base are women, which means that our women colleagues are very well represented in the leadership of the company. Most importantly, Firminish was uh, the first company in our industry and one of only seven companies in the world to receive last year in 2018 equal gender certification globally. So, uh, and this uh, from Edge, and you have only seven companies in the world that receive this equal gender certification. This is not easy because this is an equal employer gender certification globally because we are operating in 100 countries. We have 63 filials. We have 35 manufacturing facilities. And at the same time, we have 7,600 colleagues. So if you take them in number of uh, employees, we are the third biggest employer globally out of seven, you know, to receive this uh, gender equality uh, certification, which means equal pay between women and men, you know, having the same positions and the same jobs and the same qualifications. And at the same time, you know, having inclusive policies, flexible working policies that can include women uh, needs. Uh, and at the same time, you know, be able to, you know, offer them training, coaching opportunities to help them fulfill their own aspirations with their career expectations. You are a heavily science-based company, which is also very fascinating. I mean, you are utilizing the cutting-edge science in solving absolutely critical global uh, and local problems. Uh, to what extent uh, the way how you function is also motivating young uh, uh, girls uh, to go to science education, uh, that they feel like they can have much bigger contribution if they know that their research will not be just isolated in some laboratories, but also lead directly to addressing real life problems. Yeah. I, I, I think it's not only the science part, because you know, yes, you know, we are a, a science driven organization. You know, science is at the heart of our company. You know, we have 450 scientists, 250 of them have a PhD in science. And at the same time, you know, the head of our uh, research and development, uh, Professor Geneviève Berger, is, you know, a lady that is one of the most reputable science leaders uh, in our industry. Uh, and she is extremely cap capable. And, you know, she joined us four years ago and she's making significant transformation to our science approach. But I think what is more important is... Consumers today, and mainly millennials and you know, young consumers, women and, and men, want to work for responsible companies. They will look at your track record. You know, they can check you online you know, with the level of transparency. They want to work for companies that walk the talk. And they are very excited about the fact that you know, Firminish 
uh, is leading in this space and is leveraging its science and its knowledge to the best interest of society and saving lives. And that's why, you know, they are excited uh, to join us. Just to give you an idea, last year, calendar year 2018, Firmenich received 100,000 resumes for people who were interested to join us. And, you know, we recruit on average 850 people a year. We have 7,600 employees. But for a company like Firmenich, family-owned, based out of Switzerland, uh, uh, and at the same time, uh, uh, you know, being B2B, not B2C, receiving 100,000 resumes, it gives you an idea of how attracted people are to working for responsible companies. That reminds me that kind of similar uh, competition for getting accepted by Wharton or getting dropped at, at uh, Firmenich. That's very interesting. Well, uh, there are lots of similarities between <laughs> Wharton and Firmenich. You know, Wharton dates back to 1881. You know, we as a company, you know, date back to 1895. Uh, family owned, you know, out of Geneva, Switzerland, and now, you know, present in 100 countries around the world. Yeah, uh, congratulations. Maybe that partly explained the very successful and ongoing corpor- uh, cooperation we have. Uh, now, j- just going back to the case studies, because the first case study was uh, addressing relatively simple issue or a simpler issue of how you motivate primarily women in using soap in their houses. Uh, then you move to something far more complex, which was organic vanilla production and moving to production in Uganda, which then you end up not really just buying vanilla from that, but being really a part of the supply chain uh, and all issues which are related to working in developing countries, engagement with the government. So you are basically shaping the ecosystem in which you operate it. And now the third case study is going to not only new markets, but it's really redefining the industries. So you are now embarked on changing the sanitation economy. Uh, what is your experience on that and uh, how you see the, the fourth case study? I mean, where we are going on this? Look, look, I think we are very proud about this collaboration and, you know, grateful about this collaboration. But the common theme that you see across the board is, you know, the, the, the work that we are doing, you know, with the uh, uh, low-income consumers in emerging markets, you know, to uncover their needs and at the, at the same time, you know, to come up with solutions. Now, the opportunity with sanitation is broader than that because, you know, this is, we uncovered, you know, we went into this because there was a real need. You have 4.5 billion consumers around the world that don't have the luxury that you and I have to have access to toilets. You know, we have two or three toilets at home. We take it for granted. You have 4.5 billion people around the world who don't have this luxury. You know, you have 3 billion people who have access to public toilets. Most of the time, you know, they they smell very bad and they are well, not well, uh, you know, entertained. And this is why they prefer, you know, to to go out in the bushes. And you have 1.5 billion consumers who don't even have access to public toilets. So this is a serious problem. But it started you know, to address this, this, this issue, which was, okay, you know, uh, when we realized that, you know, the key uh, deterrent of these people not using this public toilet is the unpleasant smell, we said, you know, this was our aha moment. Yes, 
smell. You know, we are the experts in smell. You know, we are the number one fine fragrance company in the world. You know, we are, we are, are investing in understanding the receptors in the nose and the knowledge of smell since the 1930s. So this is where we could leverage our expertise, our knowledge, our scientists, you know, to help tackle this issue. And this is exactly what we have done. You know, we have, uh, you know, joint forces with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You know, together we've created 13 million U.S. dollars of that we have shared jointly, you know, 6.5 million from Firminish, 6.5 million uh, of, uh, of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And we have sent our best scientists, you know, to the worst latrines uh, in the world, you know, the public toilets in Africa, in India, in order to, you know, sample, you know, molecules and understand, you know, these molecules well and to come with breakthrough uh, uh, technologies uh, to counter malodor. So this was, you know, part one uh, of the exercise. And then, you know, we moved to part two, that is all about, okay, how can we make them available to consumers? And, you know, we need to make them available to consumers through brands. And this is where we have engaged with our customers, the global customers and the local and regional customers, in order to put these breakthrough malodor control technologies in their brands. And the key shift here is that we are helping them, you know, from uh, shifting their brands from, you know, uh, uh, improving uh, uh, the quality of life to saving lives because, you know, they're used with our perfumes, you know, to end their, their products, you know, on sanitation to improve the quality of life of people. But, you know, with our malodor uh, breakthrough technologies, you know, they will be able to save lives because 500 million children under the age of five are dying every year, you know, because of these, uh, you know, sanitation issues and the disease, you know, that this is creating. This was part two, and this is where we have engaged with our uh, uh, partners and customers. And we are very proud that, you know, they are, we have brands that have been launched with these technologies in Bangladesh, in, in South Africa, and these brands uh, are already in market and the execution is going well. There is a third component, which is the engagement with the uh, local governments, with the municipalities, in order to work with them jointly, hand by hand, and with local NGOs, in order to make sure that we execute properly. And, you know, these, uh, you know, latrines and these public toilets, you know, are cleaned and is ma are managed with a proper maintenance. And now, you know, we have discovered a fourth component that is, you know, far broader than this, that will take you know, this economy uh, in a complete transformation uh, where you could look into, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the cycle uh, uh, toilets where, you know, you could lo look at recycling the waste and, you know, being able to use it as fertilizers. And at the same time, you know, the digital toilet that is also about how can we use the data uh, uh, of, uh, you know, the, 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 this waste in order to analyze, you know, some uh, serious health issues. And this is why we joined forces with, uh, you know, other like-minded companies, you know, part of the Toilet Board Coalition, where my colleague, you know, Dr. Uh, Beranger uh, is the vice uh, chairman of the uh, Toilet Board Coalition, where we have like-minded companies who handle the hardware, like we handle the software, and at the same time, some 
some serious financial institutions, you know, like the World Bank, you know, the Africa Bank, the Southeast Asia Development Bank, you know, to be able to join forces and partner together in order to be able to, uh, you know, reinvent the toilet economy and tackle this 200 billion opportunity. I mean, this is a fascinating story because if you look at from the very, very beginning when the uh, uh, president of uh, uh, India announced that they will build toilets. Now the same uh, things uh, happening in China. In China. Uh, suddenly, with that uh, more holistic approach, you get create opportunity to to create tremendous value because it's not just sanitation. Suddenly, that became issue of job creation, uh, issue of uh, access for women to toilet, which were then connected with uh, education, then producing fertilizers, organic food, new opportunity for small farmers and so on. So in that totality of the problems you are addressing, absolutely the critical is obviously uh, your capability, capacity to bring the best of the partners, you know, to bring their core competence as to make the change. Now, along that line, I see even the challenge at the educational system because we are still in the educational system departmental. You know, you go and you study marketing or you do finance. There is not that much uh, interaction among different parts or even going beyond that. If you look at the university level, to what extent the students studying science get exposed to issue of entrepreneurship, uh, motivation and understanding that they can really solve real life problems. So for me, that's fascinating in a sense there is so much that the educational system can learn from companies like you. And with this, I can call that real-time exchange of best practices. The students don't need to wait for a few years for the academics to figure out what model you were using, basically exposing them to the reality on the ground. Any comments in that respect? I mean, how you see, uh, the, uh, what are the most efficient way of this tremendous experience that Firmenich has created in partnership with many other to make it more easily accessible to university around the world? And I'm not referring to elite universities like uh, UPenn. I'm talking in a more broader context because this is about, you know, the uh, legacy and how we make the next generation to take responsibility for the future. Indeed. I think what is interesting here is that the themes and the issues are very relevant for consumers today. So if you think about, you know, what are the connecting points? We're talking about health. We're talking about environment. We're talking about sustainability. So check with the youth. These three topics resonates very highly and very positively with them. So they will get, they will lean in and will get positively engaged and emotionally engaged with this journey. And this is why, you know, I dedicate the time, you know, to go to universities, to give these public addresses to the future leaders, you know, to, to uh, even sensitize them more uh, about these topics. And I'm always very positively surprised with their level of engagement and reaction. And we should not underestimate their level of knowledge because, you know, this is an area of high interest for them. And, and to breach also a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the women uh, implication, you know, think about sanitation and, and then I will move you to agriculture. You know, with this issue about, uh, you know, women uh, not being able to access public toilets because of the unpleasant smell, 
you know, they were exposed to, uh, you know, being raped, to being attacked by animals in the bushes. And at the same time, you know, some people who, because they knew that they couldn't go frequently and use these public toilets, were holding back and not going frequently, which was creating some serious health issues for them. Now that you give them access, you know, they could be more empowered, you know, to go uh, to education and to have a normal, decent life, you know, versus being exposed before. And let me shift to another angle uh, linked to vanilla and, you know, to work that we are doing with farmers. And I'll give you an example about, you know, vanilla and the work that we are doing in, uh, in Madagascar with farmers. You know, my colleague, uh, you know, Barry and I were last year in Madagascar, uh, you know, with like-minded companies like Danone and Mars. Uh, and, you know, we did, we did a visit. And in, in Madagascar, you know, people uh, might not know in the West, but the, the only flower that is not pollinated by bees uh, is vanilla. So vanilla in Uganda and in Madagascar is pollinated by hand. And the people who do this work are women. And part of the work that we do in, in Madagascar, we have this commitment with the uh, farmers uh, and the vanilla growers that we pay them 5% premium to the vanilla market price. And they, the cooperative, they can use this 5% pot to invest in local communities. And one example that we, uh, where this money was used was we've built 42 water wells. Now, you think about it, you say, yes, but, you know, 42 water wells, why does it matter? When I was there with Barry, you know, we went, you know, to see two or three of these water wells. And I met one woman who was coming there, you know, to carry the water. Because as most of us know, and we see this, you know, in the movies, you know, women go carry the water on their head back home. And I was speaking with this lady and I said, look, you know, tell me how has this well changed your life? She said, significantly. I said, can you tell me why? She said, now this water well is 10 minutes from my house. In the past, I used to walk two hours back and two hours forth, you know, to bring the water. So it used to take me four hours, you know, to bring water back home. Now that it takes me 10 minutes, I can work. She has a job. She is pollinating, you know, vanilla flowers. She is a vanilla owner of a piece of land. And she told me because of this water well, she sent her two daughters, one to school, the other one to university. So you could see the woman empowerment element here and how you change people's life by just making sure that this extra money is invested in what the community needs. And a water well in Madagascar, you know, one of these 42 water wells in this community, transformed this lady's life into from being the, uh, uh, the, the person who brings back the water to her house to being an entrepreneur working. Uh, she has her vanilla uh, land, she pollinates the flowers, and at the same time, it generates her enough money to feel proud and at the same time to send her two daughters you know, to school and university. Well, that uh, redefined in a big way uh, our understanding of impact. 
because usually we have very simplified way of seeing the uh, the consequences of our engagement. We usually stop with the outcomes, uh, not really capable to understand the impact. And that's an, a, a challenge which I think, at least from uh, academic perspective, we need to study a little bit more carefully what you are actually uh, doing on the ground and then to figure out the uh, most uh, effective way of, uh, of capturing that. Um, We've been collaborating, or let me rephrase that. Firmenich has been Firmenich was uh, collaborating, has been collaborating with the initiative of the World Bank Group and the Ziegler Center at Wharton on ideas for action. Uh, and uh, uh, from our perspective, uh, that was tremendous experience of having business people uh, and very play a very important uh, role in that, of uh, making sure that we capture the knowledge and understanding of the corporate world when we are, we are shaping uh, the, the program. Now, uh, in a few hours, uh, you will be talking to a group of students and faculties uh, at Wharton and UPenn in a broader context. And uh, when our Idea for Action Network <laughs> understood that, you will be here, uh, express uh, a desire to listen uh, to your presentation. So now we have uh, 10 sites basically connecting to follow. How you see that kind of uh, challenge uh, of the creating a kind of a common ground between what is taught at leading university in Europe and uh, United States and what is happening in uh, Uganda or Democratic Republic of Congo or Egypt or Lebanon? Is there something in common that will help the, the business community to really help this uh, new generation of leaders uh, to come with a relatively balanced knowledge and understanding in a global level? Uh, I, I would say, you know, the single biggest opportunity, if you think about it today, you know, we're all global citizens. You know, the technologies, you know, made the world smaller. We have, regardless of where we live, you know, if we live in Uganda, if we live in Egypt, in Jordan, or in, uh, in Myanmar, if we have access to the internet, we have access to the same level of information that someone at Wharton or at Stanford has. So it made the world open playing field. And at the same time, you know, the technologies have lowered barrier to entry to any business. So if you have good entrepreneurs, they exist everywhere in the world, you know, you need to engage with them. And this is why, you know, we dedicate time on the future upcoming leaders. And I'm very passionate about education. I think education is the single fastest uh, 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 social elevator in the world because, you know, when you give people access to education, uh, regardless of it is uh, on-site in the campus or through the MOOCs, you know, it will transform their perception to, to the world and at the same time it will stimulate their entrepreneurial and their intrapreneurial mindset, you know, and they will be keen, you know, to make a significant difference to the world. And, and I think, you know, this is why we need to dedicate even more and more time to engage with the youth. And I'm delighted that you have, uh, for, for my address this afternoon, you know, we have, uh, you know, 10 countries that are, you know, joining in uh, uh, to, uh, to engage with us. Because for me, what I look for is 
the dialogue. It's not a monologue. It's not us telling our stories. It's, you know, how can we create a movement where, you know, the inclusive capitalist business model that we are championing, you know, becomes the gold standard for the next generation of future leaders. I mean, I see a challenge because, as you know, UPenn is one of the leading uh, universities in innovation. Your presentation, guest lecture this afternoon will be also f uh, followed by students and uh, PhD students at uh, Stanford. I mean, this elite university definitely prepare uh, world-class uh, scientists, innovators, but my feeling is that they have not sufficient exposure to real-life problems. So when they think in terms of innovation to get another component of that and make this kind of innovation more relevant, you mentioned that you are employing a huge number of scientists. Do you feel that gap exists uh, between that kind of knowledge they bring from university when they are joining your company and what you need to do in order to bring them up to the speed so that they can be in the front line in addressing these challenging issues that uh, Firmenisch has been engaged? Uh, look, I, I think the biggest challenge that any company or any CEO has today is talent. Because if you have access to the best talent, you will win the war. And at the same time, you know, you will be the best performing company. And your students and the students of, of Stanford, like the students of any uh, respectable uh, university or business school in the world, aspire for working for responsible companies. And this is where Firmenich stands out. Uh, because yes, you know, not only, you know, we do what we do and, you know, we leverage our science and our knowledge, you know, to best support society and address, you know, the environmental challenges that exist today. But at the same time, you know, we have partnered with like-minded companies like, you know, Nestle, uh, Facebook and, uh, and Google and other companies in what is called the Youth Alliance, where we are committed to create six million employability opportunities for youth by 2022. And this is where, you know, through internships, through apprenticeships, you know, we open the doors of our companies to attract these youth to see how we operate, what is important for us, and then they will decide if they want to stay with us or, you know, go move and do uh, something else or even set up their own companies. So, you know, lots of attention to youth. And the most key theme here is you look at all the surveys and, you know, Deloitte, you know, issued a, uh, their 2018 millennial survey. And the key theme there is the expectations for, of millennials for business is mainly creating jobs and having a significant impact on society. And this is where if this is your agenda, if this is rooted in your values, you know, you will be able to attract the, the best talent. And most importantly, you know, they will be motivated to go out of their way to help you succeed. So it is not only about, you know, having the values on the wall, it's walking the talk and bringing these values to life every single day through your behavior and your actions. And this is where I think Firmenich stands out because, you know, we have these values, you know, we see these societal issues, you know, like, you know, when we, Barry and I were at the COP21 in Paris uh, back in 2015 and we saw, you know, the, the, the serious, you know, climate uh, challenge that we have, we realized that 
you know, incremental environmental solutions, you know, will not solve it. And this is where we needed to have a bold statement. And, you know, out of Paris, you know, I have announced the boldest and the most ambitious environmental goals for our company. And when I've done that, you know, my colleagues looked at this and said, oh, my God, you know, we can't deliver against this. I said, there is nothing that is impossible if we bang our heads together. And, you know, one of the goals, for example, was that we will operate across all our sites, our 100 sites and our 35 manufacturing sites globally uh, with uh, renewable energy by 2020. And guess what? In 2018, you know, we were operating at 100% renewable energy across all our sites in North America and in Europe. By the end of 2019, we will be 90% on globally on re operating on renewable energy. And before the end of 2020, we will be operating 100% on renewable energy and renewable electricity globally. And I think this is what you need today. You know, you need to look at the challenges that we face in the world today come with ambitious goals and you know you will be very surprised you know how your colleagues and your employees you know we rally behind this and make it happen now it's getting a little bit more clear to me <laughs> you know talking about the value and this engagement and young people that there has been a lot of thinking from your side on this inclusive capitalism stuff, that this is not something that will happen overnight. But to that thing, uh, let me just make two comments. First, uh, when with uh, my colleague from the World Bank, uh, Senior Vice President Mahmoud Mohedin, we launched the Idea for Action initiative, uh, there were kind of two important topics. One was how to engage with the corporate world to be part of that, which obviously we've been doing, and you're a good example of that. The second was how to create space for young people to start taking responsibility to own the sustainable development goals and move forward. And then with my colleague, uh, Professor Laufer from Wharton, for some time we were developing this concept of generational responsibility. So what been discussing so far was mostly on, let's call that, responsibility that our generation is taking in addressing these issues, kind of our legacy, what we are leaving behind that. But we also see equally important for younger people to start thinking in terms of uh, generational responsibility now, in this moment, not when they come at our age. So how you see this kind of bringing together these generational responsibilities across generations? So everybody plays the role, otherwise inclusive capitalism or whatever form of capitalism we are looking around will not be inclusive. His good portion of the population is not part of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think what is critical here uh, is you should not, and you know, this is my advice always to uh, you know, the students you know, when I have this opportunity to engage with them, is think legacy. And don't look for a job. Look for a challenge. Think about your legacy. Think about your impact on others. Because if you look at it in terms of, I want a job, I am looking for a salary, you have undersold yourself because you are capable of far more than this. Uh, and I think today the opportunity is far bigger for the young generation than it was in the past because this was, uh, you know, uh, simplified by technologies. You know, take an example, you know, you have a brand that is called Glossier. 
that has been launched by a, uh, an exceptionally smart lady, Emily Weiss. Yeah, I was, uh, and you know, we we came with a perfume uh, for uh, for Glossier. Uh, the great thing about about Glossier, you know, this is a brand that didn't exist, and you know now, you know, the valuation of the brand, you know, part of the recent uh, you know fundraising is one billion dollars, and all of this has been empowered by technology and you know the new platform that are available today you know you could have access uh, you don't need uh, uh, you know a big marketing campaign uh, and to use you know all the traditional media to launch your brand you know if you have a good concept that could resonate favorably with consumers you just need to find few micro bloggers and uh, micro influencers and and one blogger and they can launch your brand you don't need to list it with the retailers you know to go to Walmart or to go to Costco or to Safeway to list it you could send, sell it through the internet so the barriers to entry our laws, which will enable, you know, the young upcoming leaders to become even more entrepreneurs. And because they understand the needs of consumers, because they are a consumer, they can come with ideas that could make a significant difference to society. Okay, let me just go for a moment back. You said, uh, this is fascinating. You said that don't look for a job. Correct? You said look for the legacy. Don't look at for the salary because you are underselling you. You're, you're simplify what you can contribute. Uh, with your very unique life journey, you know, uh, uh, both on a professional and personal level, what you would like to share with uh, not only the students uh, this afternoon, but much broader? I mean, what kind of, uh, kind of insights they can get from your life uh, and professional experience that can help them figure out what they want to do in their lives? Yeah. Uh, look, yeah, my journey, I, I was very lucky. Uh, you know, I, I'm coming from Lebanon, you know, a small country, and I had the opportunity to live and work on four continents. You know, we lived in Africa and we worked in Africa, lived in the U.S. and worked in the U.S., lived in Europe and lived in Asia. So we had the opportunity with my family to live and work on, on four continents. And I think the key learning here is don't limit yourself to your comfort zone. Because if you want to limit yourself to your comfort zone, you will be shutting off opportunities. And I had it several times in my career, you know, and uh, uh, put yourself out there and, you know, expose yourself. And this is how you will grow bigger as a leader. And at the same time, you know, you will uh, uh, be able to, you know, unleash even bigger opportunity that you have. Actually, I had this um, a challenge uh, back during my Diageo days. Uh, twice, you know, once when I was running the Middle East and Africa and Eastern and Central Europe for Diageo based out of Dubai, and the company offered me the opportunity to move to the U.S. and run, you know, a big chunk of our business in North America. Uh, I had two voices in my head, you know, one voice to say, you're comfortable in this part of the world, you know the business inside out, you know, you are from the Middle East, you lived in Africa, you know these markets, you build this business, why do you want to go to uh, America, what do you want to go to the U.S.? Ruthless competition, cutthroat competition, you might fail. Uh, and at the same time, I was offered the opportunity by two uh, other uh, major FMCG companies to run their business in the Middle East and Africa. And I turned down these opportunities I, and I went for the U.S. because I said, I want to go outside of my comfort zone and I want to see how high I can go. And at the same time, I want to continue my learning journey. 
And I had this other uh, uh, challenge again when I decided to leave Diageo after 21 years, when I had the opportunity to stay with the company and I was offered a job opportunity outside of my comfort zone in science, where my background is not science, you know, my background is marketing, run a global, uh, a global organization, uh, and at the same time that have at its heart science and also, you know, a family-owned company that has a completely different governance. And I went for it and, you know, this might have been, you know, the best move of my career because I love what I'm doing and you could see the impact on the organization and on society at the same time. So the, if I want to summarize it with one word, challenge yourself and get yourself out of your comfort zone. If you feel that you're in your comfort zone, you are underselling yourself, go out of your comfort zone because this is how you will learn and grow every single day and make a bigger impact than you thought initially you could make. And you will have lots of fun. Thank you very much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.